Section 14 of The Storm by Daniel Defoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Nor can the damage suffered in the river of Thames be forgot. It was a strange sight to see all the ships in the river blown away. The pool was so clear that, as I remember, not above four ships were left between the upper part of Wapping and Radcliffe Cross, for the tide being up at the time when the storm blew with the greatest violence. No anchors or landfast, no cables or moorings would hold them. The chains which lay across the river for the mooring of ships all gave way. The ships breaking loose thus, it must be a strange sight to see the hurry and confusion of it, and, as some ships had no body at all on board, and a great many had none but a man or boy left on board just to look after the vessel, there was nothing to be done but to let every vessel drive whither and how she would. Those who know the reaches of the river, and how they lie, know well enough that the wind being at south-west westerly, the vessels would naturally drive into the bight or bay from Radcliffe Cross to Limehouse Hole, for that the river winding about again from thence towards the new dock at Deptford runs almost due south-west, so that the wind blew down one reach and up another, and the ships must of necessity drive into the bottom of the angle between both. This was the case, and, as the place is not large, and the number of ships very great, the force of the wind had driven them so into one another, and laid them so upon one another, as it were, in heaps, that I think a man may safely defy all the world to do the like. The author of this collection had the curiosity the next day to view the place and to observe the posture they lay in, which, nevertheless, tis impossible to describe. There lay, by the best account he could take, few less than seven hundred sail of ships, some very great ones, between Shadwell and Limehouse inclusive, the posture is not to be imagined, but by them that saw it. Some vessels lay heeling off with the bow of another ship over her waist, and the stem of another upon her forecastle. The bolt-sprits of some drove into the cabin windows of others. Some lay with their sterns tossed up so high that the tide flowed into their forecastles before they could come to rights. Some lay so leaning upon others that the undermost vessels would sink before the other could float. The numbers of masts, bolt-sprits, and yards split and broke, the staving, the heads, and sterns, and carved work, the tearing and destruction of rigging, and the squeezing of boats to pieces between the ships is not to be reckoned. But there was hardly a vessel to be seen that had not suffered some damage or 
other in one or all of these articles. There was several vessels sunk in this hurry, but as they were generally light ships, the damage was chiefly to the vessels, but there were two ships sunk with great quantity of goods on board. The Russell galley was sunk at Limehouse, being a great part laden with bale goods for the straits, and the Sarah galley, laden for Leghorn, sunk at an anchor at Blackwall. And though she was afterwards weighed and brought on shore, yet her back was broke, or so otherwise disabled, as she was never fit for the sea. There were several men drowned in these last two vessels, but we could never come to have the particular number. Near Gravesend, several ships drove on shore below Tilbury Fort, and among them five bound for the West Indies. But as the shore is oozy and soft, the vessels sat upright and easy, and here the high tides which followed and which were the ruin of so many in other places, were the deliverance of all these ships, whose lading and value was very great, for the tide rising to an unusual height floated them all off, and the damage was not so great as was expected. If it be expected, I should give an account of the loss and the particulars relating to small craft, as the sailors call it, in the river, it is to look for what is impossible, other than by generals. The watermen tell us of above five hundred wherries lost, most of which were not sunk only, but dashed to pieces one against another, or against the shores and ships where they lay. Shipboats without number were driven about in every corner, sunk and staved, and about three hundred of them is supposed to be lost. Above sixty barges and lighters were found driven foul of the bridge. Some printed accounts tell us of sixty more sunk or staved between the bridge and Hammersmith. Abundance of lighters and barges drove quite through the bridge, and took their fate below, whereof many were lost, so that we reckon by a modest account above a hundred lighters and barges lost and spoiled in the whole, not reckoning such as with small damage were recovered. In all this confusion it could not be but that many lives were lost, but as the Thames oftentimes buries those it drowns, there has been no account taken. Two watermen at Blackfriars were drowned, endeavouring to save their boat, and a boat was said to be overset near Fulham, and five people drowned. According to the best account I have seen, about twenty-two people were drowned in the river upon this sad occasion, which, considering all circumstances, is not a great many, and the damage to shipping, computed with the vast number of ships then in the river, the violence of the storm, and the height of the tide, 
confirms me in the truth of that opinion, which I have heard many skilful men own, viz., that the river of Thames is the best harbour of Europe. The height of the tide, as I have already observed, did no great damage in the river of Thames, and I find none of the levels or marshes which lie on both sides the river overflowed with it, filled the cellars indeed at Gravesend, and on both sides in London, and the alehouse keepers suffered some loss as to their beer, but this damage is not worth mentioning with what our accounts give us from the Severn, which, besides the particular letters we have already quoted, the reader may observe in the following what our general intelligence furnishes us with. The damages in the city of Gloucester they compute at twelve thousand pounds above fifteen thousand sheep drowned in the levels on the side of the Severn, and the sea walls will cost, as these accounts tell us, five thousand pounds to repair. All the country lies under water for twenty or thirty miles together on both sides, and the tide rose three foot higher than the tops of the banks. At Bristol, they tell us, the tide filled their cellars, spoiled one thousand hogsheads of sugar, fifteen hundred hogsheads of tobacco, and the damage they reckon at a hundred thousand pounds. Above eighty people drowned in the marshes and river, several whole families perishing together. The harbour at Plymouth, the castle at Pendennis, the cathedral at Gloucester, the great church at Berkeley, the church of St. Stephen's at Bristol, the churches at Blandford, at Bridgewater, at Cambridge, and generally the churches all over England have had a great share of the damage. In King Road at Bristol, the damage by sea is also very great. The Canterbury storeship was driven on shore, and twenty-five of her men drowned, as by our account of the navy will more particularly appear. The Richard and John, the George and the Grace sunk, and the number of people lost is variously reported. These accounts in the four last paragraphs being abstracted from the public prints and what other persons collect. I desire the reader will observe are not particularly vouched, but as they are all true in substance, they are so far to be depended upon, and if there is any mistake it relates to the numbers and quantity only. From Yarmouth we expected terrible news, and Everyone was impatient till they saw the accounts from thence, for as there was a very great fleet there, both of laden colliers, Russia men, and others, there was nothing to be expected but a dreadful destruction among them. But it pleased God to order things there, that the loss was not in proportion like what it was in other places, not but that it was very great, too. The reserve man-of-war, 
was come in but a day or two before, convoy to the great fleet from Russia, and the captain, surgeon, and clerk, who, after so long a voyage, went on shore with two boats to refresh themselves, and buy provisions, had the mortification to stand on shore, and see the ship sink before their faces. She foundered about eleven o'clock, and, as the sea went too high for any help to go off from the shore to them, so their own boats being both on shore, there was not one man saved. One Russia ship driving from her anchors and running foul of a laden collier sunk by his side, but some of her men were saved by getting on board the collier. Three or four small vessels were driven out to sea and never heard of more. As for the colliers, though most of them were driven from their anchors, yet going away to sea, we have not an account of many lost. This next to the providence of God, I give this reason for. First, by all relations, it appears that the storm was not so violent farther northward as it was there, and as it was not so violent, so neither did it continue so long. Now, those ships who found they could not ride it out in Yarmouth Roads, but slipping their cables went away to sea, possibly as they went away to the northward, found the weather more moderate, at least, not so violent, but it might be borne with. To this may be added, that tis well known to such as use the coast after they had run the length of Flamborough. They had the benefit of the weather shore, and pretty high land, which if they took shelter under, might help them very much. These, with other circumstances, made the damage much less than everybody expected, and yet as it was, it was bad enough, as our letter from Hull gives an account. At Grimsby it was still worse, as to the ships, where almost all the vessels were blown out of the road, and a great many lost. At Plymouth they felt a full proportion of the storm in its utmost fury. The Eddystone has been mentioned already, but it was a double loss in that the lighthouse had not been long down when the Winchelsea, a homeward-bound Virginia man, was split upon the rock, where that building stood, and most of her men drowned. Three other merchant ships were cast away in Plymouth Road, and most of their men lost. The monk, man-of-war, rode it out, but was obliged to cut all her masts by the board, as several men-of-war did in other places. At Portsmouth was a great fleet, as has been noted already. Several of the ships were blown quite out to sea, whereof some were never heard of more. The Newcastle was heard off upon the coast of Sussex, where she was lost with all their men but twenty-three. The Resolution, the Eagle Advice Boat, and the Litchfield Prize felt the same fate. 
only saved their men. From cows several ships were driven out to sea, whereof one run on shore in Stokes Bay, one full of soldiers, and two merchantmen have never been heard of. As I could ever learn, abundance of ships saved themselves by cutting down their masts, and others stranded, but by the help of the ensuing tides, got off again. Portsmouth, Plymouth, Weymouth, and most of our seaport towns looked as if they had been bombarded, and the damage of them is not easily computed. Several ships from the Downs were driven over to the coast of Holland, and some saved themselves there, but several others were lost there. At Falmouth, eleven sail of ships were stranded on the shore, but most of them got off again. In Barstable Harbor, a merchant ship outward bound was overset, and the express advice boat very much shattered, and the quay of the town almost destroyed. Tis endless to attempt any farther description of losses. No place was free, either by land or by sea. Everything that was capable felt the fury of the storm, and tis hard to say whether was greater the loss by sea or by land. The multitude of brave, stout sailors is a melancholy subject, and, if there be any difference, gives the sad balance to the account of the damage by sea. We had an account of about eleven or twelve ships droven over for the coast of Holland, most of which were lost, but the men saved, so that by the best calculation I can make, we have lost not less than a hundred and fifty sail of vessels of all sorts by the storm. The number of men and other damages are calculated elsewhere. We have several branches of this story which at first were too easily credited and put in print, but upon more strict examination and by the discoveries of time appeared otherwise and therefore are not set down. It was in the design to have collected the several accounts of the fatal effects of the tempest abroad in foreign parts, but as our accounts came in from thence too imperfect to be depended upon, the collector of these papers could not be satisfied to offer them to the world, being willing to keep as much as possible to the terms of his preface. We are told there is an abstract to the same purpose with this in France, printed at Paris, and which contains a strange variety of accidents in that country. If a particular of this can be obtained, the author promises to put it into English, and adding to them the other accounts which the rest of the world can afford, together with some other additions of the English affairs, which could not be obtained in time, here shall make up the second part of this work. In the meantime, the reader may observe, France felt the general shock, the piers and rice bank at Dunkirk, the harbour at Havre de Grace, 
the towns of Calais and Boulogne, give us strange accounts. All the vessels in the road before Dunkirk, being twenty-three or twenty-seven, I am not certain, were dashed in pieces against the pier-heads, not one excepted, that side being a lee shore. The reason is plain. There was no going off to sea. And had it been so with us in the Downs or Yarmouth roads, it would have fared with us in the same manner. For had there been no going off to sea, three hundred sail in Yarmouth roads had inevitably perished. At Dieppe the like mischief happened, and in proportion Paris felt the effects of it, as bad as London, and as a gentleman who came from thence since that time affirmed it to me was much worse. All the northeast countries felt it. In Holland, our accounts in general are very dismal. But the wind, not being northwest, as at former storms, the tide did not drown them, nor beat so directly upon their sea wall. It is not very irrational to judge that had this storm beat more to the northwest, it must have driven the sea upon them in such a manner that all their dikes and dams could not have sustained it. And what the consequence of such an inundation might have been, they can best judge, who remember the last terrible eruption of the sea there, which drowned several thousand people and cattle without number. But as our foreign accounts were not satisfactory enough to put into this collection, where we have promised to limit ourselves by just vouchers, we purposely refer it all to a farther description, as before. Several of our ships were driven over to those parts, and some lost there. And the story of our great ships, which ridded out at or near the gunfleet, should have come in here, if the collector could have met with any person that was in any of the said vessels. But as the accounts he expected did not come in time for the impression, they were of necessity left out. The association, a second rate, on board whereof was Sir Stafford Fairborn, was one of these, and was blown from the mouth of the Thames to the coast of Norway, a particular whereof, as printed in the annals of the reign of Queen Anne's, is as follows. An account of Sir Stafford Fairborn's distress in the late storm. Sir, Her Majesty's ship association, a second rate of ninety-six guns, commanded by Sir Stafford Fairborn, Vice-Admiral of the Red, and under him Captain Richard Canning, sailed from the Downs the 24th of November last, in company with seven other capital ships, under the command of the Honourable Sir Cloudsley Shovel, Admiral of the White, in their return from Leghorn up the river. They anchored that night, off of the long sand head the next day struck yards and 
topmasts. The 27th, about three in the morning, the wind at west-southwest increased to a hurricane, which drove the association from her anchors. The night was exceeding dark, but what was more dreadful, the galloper, a very dangerous sand, was under her lee, so that she was in danger of striking upon it, beyond the power of man to avoid it. Driving thus at the mercy of the waves, it pleased God that, about five o'clock, she passed over the tail of the galloper in seven fathom of water. The sea, boisterous and angry, all in a foam, was ready to swallow her up, and the ship received, at that time, a sea on her starboard side, which beat over all, broke and washed several half-ports, and forced in the entering port. She took in such a vast quantity of water that it kept her down upon her side, and everybody believed that she could not have risen again, had not the water been speedily let down into the hold by scuttling the decks. During this consternation, two of the lower gun deck-ports were pressed open by this mighty weight of water. The most hazardous accident, next to touching the ground, that could have happened to us. But the port that had been forced open, being readily secured by the direction and command of the vice-admiral, who, though much indisposed, was upon deck all that time, prevented any farther mischief. As the ship still drove with the wind, she was not long in this shoal, where it was impossible for any ship to have lived at that time, but came into deeper water, and then she had smoother sea. However, the hurricane did not abate, but rather seemed to gather strength, for words were no sooner uttered, but they were carried away by the wind, so that, although those upon deck spoke loud and close to one another, yet they could not often distinguish what was said, and when they opened their mouths, their breath was almost taken away. Part of the spirit sail, though fast furled, was blown away from the yard. A tin or boat that was lashed on her starboard side was often hove up by the strength of the wind, and overset upon her gun whale. We plainly saw the wind skimming up the water, as if it had been sand, carrying it up into the air, which was then so thick and gloomy that daylight, which should have been comfortable to us, did but make it appear more ghastly. The sun, by intervals, peeped through the corner of a cloud, but soon disappearing gave us a more melancholic prospect of the weather. About eleven o'clock it dispersed the clouds, and the hurricane abated with a more moderate storm, which drove us over to the bank of Flanders, and thence along the coast of Holland and Friesland to the entrance of the Elbe where the 4th of December we 
had almost as violent a storm as when we drove from our anchors, the wind at northwest driving us directly upon the shore. So that we must all have inevitably perished had not God mercifully favoured us about ten o'clock at night with a southwest wind, which gave us an opportunity to put to sea. But being afterwards driven near the coast of Norway, the ship wanting anchors and cables, our wood and candles wholly expended, no beer on board, nor anything else in lieu, every one reduced to one quart of water per day. The men who had been harassed at Belle Isle, and in our Mediterranean voyage, now jaded by the continual fatigues of the storms, falling sick every day. The vice-admiral in this exigency thought it advisable to put into Gottenburg, the only port where we could hope to be supplied. We arrived there the 11th of December, and having without loss of time got anchors and cables from Copenhagen and provisions from Gottenborough, we sailed thence the 3rd of January, with twelve merchant men under our convoy, all loaden with stores for Her Majesty's Navy. The eleventh following, we prevented four French privateers from taking four of our store-ships. At night we anchored off the long sand-head, weighed again the next day, but soon came to an anchor, because it was very hazy weather. Here we rid against a violent storm, which was like to have put us to sea. But after three days' very bad weather, we weighed and arrived to the buoy of the Nore, the 23rd of January, having run very great risks among the sands. For we had not only contrary winds, but also very tempestuous winds. We lost twenty-eight men by sickness contracted by the hardships which they had endured in the bad weather, and had not Sir Stafford Fairborn, by his great care and diligence, and by that prevented her being frozen up, most part of the sailors had perished afterwards by the severity of the winter, which is intolerable cold in those parts. A list of such of Her Majesty's ships, with their commander's names, as were cast away by the violent storm on Friday night, the 26th of November, 1703, the wind having been from the southwest to west-southwest, and the storm continuing from about midnight to past six in the morning. Rates. Fourth. Ships. Reserve. Number of men before the storm, 258. Guns, 54. Commanders, John Anderson. Places were lost, Yarmouth Roads. Her captain, purser, master, cry-surgeon, clerk, and 16 men were ashore. The rest drowned. Rates, third. Ships, Northumberland. 
Number of men before the storm, 253. Guns, 70. Commander, James Greenway. Place where lost, Yarmouth Roads. Places where lost, Goodwin Sands. All their men lost. Rates, third. Ships, restoration. Number of men before the storm, 386. Guns, 70. Commanders, Fleetwood Eames. Places where lost Goodwin Sands. All their men lost. Rates, third. Ships, Stirling Castle. Number of men before the storm, 349. Guns, 70. Commanders, John Johnston. Places were lost, Goodwin Sands. Third Lieutenant, Chaplain, Cook, Chersurgeon's Mate, four Marine Captains, and 62 men saved. Rates, fourth. Ships, Mary. Number of men before the storm, 273. Guns, 64. Commanders, Rear Admiral Beaumont, Edward Hobson. Places where lost, Holland. Only one man saved by swimming from wreck to wreck and getting to the Stirling Castle. The captain ashore, as also the purser. Rates, fourth. Ships, Vigo. Number of men before the storm, 212. Number of guns, 54. Commanders, Thomas Long. Places where lost, Holland. Her company saved except four. Rates, bomb vessel, ships, mortar. Number of men before the storm, 59. Number of guns, 12. Commander, Raymond Raymond. Places where lost, Holland. Rates, advice boat, ships, eagle. Number of men before the storm, 42. Number of guns, 10. Commanders, Nathan Bostock. Places were lost, Selsey. Their officers and men saved. Rates, third. Ships, resolution. Number of men before the storm, 211. Number of guns, 70. Commanders, Thomas Lyle. Places were lost, Pemsey. Their officers and men saved. Rates, fourth. Ships, Newcastle. Number of men before the storm, 233. Number of guns, 46. Commanders, William Carter. Places were lost, drove from Spithead and lost upon the coast near Chester. Carpenter and 23 men saved. Rates, store ship. Ships, Canterbury. Number of men before the storm, 31. Number of guns, 8. 
Commanders Thomas Blake. Places were lost. Bristol. Captain and twenty-five men drowned. The ship recovered and ordered to be sold. Rates bomb vessel. Ships Portsmouth. Number of men before the storm, 44. Number of guns, 4. Commanders, George Hawes. Places were lost, nor. Officers and men lost. The vanguard, a second rate, was overset at Chatham, but no men lost, the ship not being fitted out. End of section 14